Good Golly, I'm Polly M is a podcast intended for mature audiences. Each episode may contain strong language and slash or sexual references. Hello and welcome to Good Golly, I'm Polly M with me, your host, Trisha. Um, if you're just joining us for the first time, uh, perfect episode to do so. Um, Today we are talking about polyamory for beginners. Um, So before I start talking about all the complicated stuff, um, we're just going to talk about basic terms and differences in sort of polyamory styles. Um, So I sort of compiled a list of common terms that are used within polyamory that may come up. over the course of the podcast or things that you may have heard other polyamorous people mention and not really know what it was um, and I've also taken a handful of um, styles that I think cover quite wide range of non-monogamy um, so that you know what I mean when we say polyamory and how that differs to other kinds of relationships. So we'll start off with terms first. I should say, as a a sort of a fine print thing, that these definitions are my definitions. Um, They are generally taken from the the accepted definitions of the term, Um, but what I say may be slightly different to if you Google it or look elsewhere. Um, So this is just how I explain it to other people. Take it with a pinch of salt. If you don't like the definition that I use, there may be um, a slightly different definition out there that you may be more comfortable with or maybe a bit more accessible to you. But um, I'm just going to try and explain these in a way that is as accessible as I can make them. So our first term is the one that is in the name of the podcast itself, polyam. Um, which uh, is probably quite obvious, um, but it is just an abbreviation for polyamory um, in terms of saving time. Um, And you may also hear people refer to it in shorthand as poly or polyA or polyap, depending on how you pronounce it. Um, There isn't really any sort of difference in the terms. They're all just abbreviations for polyamory um but i've noticed that a lot of people are trying to steer away from saying poly um when they mean polyamory because it's also an abbreviation for polynesian um for people who are polynesian um it's kind of contested some people are like uh it's not really that deep um obviously if you're not polynesian Um, As far as I'm concerned, it's not really your place to decide whether it's not that deep or not. Um, But through my own sort of research and looking into it, I've gotten differing views from Polynesian people. Some Polynesian people who are like, no, it's really fine, I don't mind. And some Polynesian people who are like, actually, please stop because I like it's mine. So as far as I'm concerned, I try to use polyam as often as I possibly can because if 
even one Polynesian person wants to keep Polly as an abbreviation for a Polynesian, then I think they deserve that. So I try my hardest to say Polyam, and I choose Polyam instead of Polyae or Polya because I just think it feels more natural to say and type. Um, so that is that term. Um, obviously, throughout this podcast, um, I will be attempting to say polyam um, or polyamory or polyamorous. Um, I may slip every now and again and say poly, but I will try and catch myself out on that. I'm just saying that now to hold myself accountable through the rest of the podcast. Um, so that is what that means for anyone who may have been confused or if you've heard any combination of the three abbreviations used out in the wild and you're like, well, what's the difference? Not really a difference. Um, it's all personal taste. Um, Okay, so uh, the second one I have is metamorph, um, which may be shortened to meta. And what that means is basically just your partner's partner. Um, so it's someone that you're not dating, but someone that someone you are dating is dating. So, um, for example, uh, one of my partners has another girlfriend, I'm not dating her, so she's my meta. Um, if I were to start dating her, then she'd become my partner as well, and she'd no longer be my meta, because she's also my partner. But, I mean, technically she'd also be my meta. But, generally, meta is only used for someone that you yourself are not dating but is dating someone that you are dating. <laughs> so your partner's partner. Okay, so the next term I have is comet. And a comet is basically someone who is in your life, generally in some sort of dating capacity, who is not present all the time, and there's no sort of expectation of an ongoing romantic or sexual relationship. So it might be someone who lives on the other side of the world who you may see once a year or once every three years but there's a really strong connection between the two of you and potentially if uh, you lived closer or if uh, situations were different maybe there would be a relationship but with the way that things are, there isn't. And like I said, that can be a matter of distance, that could be um, a matter of schedules just not meeting up, that could be a matter that one or two of you is polysaturated, and I'll come up to that as my next term. Um, it could be any sort of reason that just means that a relationship, like an ongoing relationship, isn't feasible. It could just be that that specific person doesn't maintain ongoing relationships. There's a whole plethora of reasons that someone might be a comet as opposed to a partner, um, but that is what that means. So a comet is just someone who you have a very strong connection to, but there's no expectation on either side of an ongoing romantic or sexual relationship. 
And moving on, seeing as I said polysaturated, um, I'll explain that term. Uh, polysaturation is when you've reached the point that you are dating as many people as you can date. Um, and everyone has a different polysaturation point. Some people might be polysaturated at two partners, some people might be polysaturated at five partners, some people might be polysaturated at ten partners because the relationships require different amounts of effort and all that kind of stuff. So everyone has their own personal polysaturation point, but it just means that you have made the decision that you cannot maintain another, another relationship amongst the ones that you already have. My next term, or set of terms, is primary and secondary, etc, etc, so that can be tertiary. Generally, primary and secondary are used. Occasionally, tertiary can be used. I've never seen anything beyond tertiary used. But what that set of terms is, is for people who tend to practice hierarchical polyamory. Um, and I'll be speaking about that a little bit later when I talk about polyamorous styles. And it's just what it sounds like. Uh, your primary partner is your main partner and that can um, happen in any way. That can be, you know, the person that you live with or the person that you're married to or the person you have kids with. And then your secondary partner or partners are the other relationships that you have that within the confines of your own relationship potentially aren't as important or require as much time as your primary one. What I will say, I'm gonna try and keep these definitions as non-bias as possible, but um, now that the definition is done, I will say that I really don't vibe with the idea of primaries and secondaries. I think it's an easy way for toxicity to creep into relationships. Um, I think it is really tricky and um, opens up some really questionable areas of how you can quantify your feelings and how you can expect someone else to quantify their feelings. I'll talk about all of this in um, a further episode because I have a lot of thoughts about it and right now we're just trying to get through terms but I just wanted to sort of say that as a little footnote that one of the reasons I struggled so much with sort of defining that was trying to keep it as neutral as possible. But I, I personally am not really sure whether there's a way to keep that neutral um, because of all the power imbalances that come with it. But like I said, I will talk about that in a future episode um, and hopefully I'll be able to have some people um, on that episode who might have primary and secondary partners so that they can blend their experience to it. But I will say that I generally am not about primaries and secondaries or hierarchical polyamory at all. <laughs> on that um, note, we'll move on to the next term. Um, so the next term I have is relationship escalator. Um, 
And this isn't necessarily a polyamorous term, but the relationship escalator tends to be what is present in monogamy. So it's just like the standard escalation of a relationship. You know, you meet and then bah, 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 you go up a few steps, you meet the parents, bah, 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 you get married, bah, 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 you have kids, bah, 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 bah. Um, and that's the relationship escalator. It's basically just the socially accepted um, way that a relationship develops. And I'll speak about the relationship escalator when I come to styles later on in the episode because it comes into play a lot with relationship anarchy, which is another kind of style. Um, so just keep that in mind when we get to that part. The next term I have is compersion. Compersion is one of my favorite things about polyamory. Compersion is the feeling of happiness that you get at your partner's happiness. And often the reason they use it for polyamory is because it often comes from your partner's happiness with another partner. So like if a date goes really well or they've taken what they feel is a really big step with one of their other partners um, and you know you see them all buzzing and happy about it, you may feel a sort of warmth or happiness from that. You don't have to feel compersion to be polyamorous. I think a lot of people think that, you know, if they're not actively happy um, hearing about their partner's happiness with another partner, then they're being bad at polyamory. Um, and I don't think that's true. I don't think you have to feel compersion to be quote unquote good at polyamory. I know I'm quite inclined to, towards compersion. I love hearing my partners talk about good dates or new people that they're getting to know. It makes me super, super happy. But if you are a polyamorous person out there and you are feeling down about the fact that you don't get very compersion-y or you'd rather not hear about the sort of big steps in your other partner's relationships, that's completely fine. You don't have to feel compersion. I do have a whole episode based around jealousy and other quote-unquote bad emotions. Um, so if your issue is that you don't like hearing about your other partners, well, about your partner's other partners because of jealousy or anything like that, and you feel guilty about that, don't worry, I will be addressing that. And feeling jealous does not make you a bad person. Um, and I, jealousy isn't necessarily a bad emotion, even though it feels bad. But like I said, I won't take up too much time with it now because I will speak about it later. But I just wanted to mention that scene as we were talking about conversion. Okay, the next one is a term that you might be familiar with, even if you don't know anything about polyamory, um, and it's triad. Or if you have watched any sort of media about polyamory, you may know the word as thruple. Um, and it's essentially three people who are all dating each other. So uh, A, B, and C, A is dating B, B is dating C, and C is dating A. So it's a triangle. <laughs> Again, 
keeping the definition neutral, but moving on, seeing as we've done the definition, I hate the word thruple. I think I think it's horrible, <laughs> um, and I think because it it perpetuates this whole idea of a triad being an extension of a couple. Um, I think it gives way to toxicity very very easily, and I will talk all about that <laughs> um, in episodes sort of facing polyamory in the media um, and the idea of dating as a couple but I hate the word throuple. I also think it sounds stupid but that's just a personal thing. Alright, um, going on from that uh, is the word quad. Um, which is a four-person relationship, again, where everyone in the relationship is dating each other. And I'm sure that this series of terms can expand as far as it needs to, um, but I have never come across anyone who has a dating, like a, a, a sort of layout. <laughs> that is bigger than a quad and I don't actually know anyone in a quad at all like triads are difficult enough uh, quads are very very advanced polyamory um, and I don't know anyone in a quad but like I said I'm sure in theory those could continue to go on and on and on but I'm only going to go as far as a quad because that is the furthest that I have any sort of evidence that potentially works and I don't even have that evidence. Alright, uh, the next uh, term that we have is polyfidelity um, and that is what you will generally see in the media if someone is in a triad or throuple. <laughs> um, it is essentially where you can, where everyone within a specific relationship configuration is dating each other, but you don't date anyone else outside of that configuration. So closed triads or closed quads are polyfidelitous. It means that everyone in that configuration can date each other, um, but apart from that, like dating outside of that triad or outside of that quad or however many people you're dating is, is not within sort of the boundaries of that relationship. And we'll kind of, I'll touch on that a little bit later with styles as well, because it kind of bleeds into some. Um, but if you've ever heard someone say polyfidelitis or a closed triad or whatever, that is what that means. Moving on to a hinge. So a hinge is the person who has the metas. <laughs> so if, uh, so for example, I am the hinge in my relationships with my two partners. Matt and Ben are friends, uh, but they're not dating each other. Um, and I'm the hinge in that relationship because I'm the connection that um, sort of brings them together. A hinge is basically whoever connects two people who are not dating each other. Um, so whoever uh, has, whoever makes those people metas is the hinge in the relationship. The next term I have is polycule. And that is just a really cute sort of word that uh, maps all the 
relationship links in one sort of set of relationships. So like my polycule is I'm dating Matt, um, I'm dating Ben, Matt's dating his girlfriend, Ben's dating uh, two other people, and then one of those two people is dating three people, and maybe one other person isn't dating any people. I don't know how many people, the people that Ben I don't know how many partners Ben's other partners have. Um, so I, I, all of that sort of three or zero is speculation. It's just an example. Um, so a polycule is basically just an easy way of saying, oh, those are those links. I think a lot of people have, can tend to have quite close polycules, um, especially because the polyamory scene generally is quite small. And I live in London, so it's probably amongst the biggest scenes in the country, but still, lot, there's lots of overlap, lots of people know other people um, just through being polyamorous. So uh, polycules can get very, very large. They can also be really small depending on how many partners everyone involved in the polycule has. I really like the term, I think it's cute. <laughs> um, but that's the definition for it. Alright, the next one I have is NRE, uh, which stands for New Relationship Energy. And that isn't particularly a polyamorous term, because again, this happens in monogamy, but I think you hear it a lot more um, with people who are polyamorous. And what it is, is basically just that warm glow that you get when you just start seeing someone so that's sort of like honeymoon period where you're super excited to get to know them you want to know all about them and you just want to talk to them all the time where everything is like really nice and happy and glowy that's nre it is one heck of a drug <laughs> um and i'm sure anyone in any sort of relationship knows what i mean when i say nre um, obviously you experience, you tend to experience that a bit more often when you're polyamorous because there's more new relationships. So we talk about it a lot, which is why I thought it was worth mentioning. The next one I have is another anagram, uh, which is OPP, which in this case uh, stands for One Penis Policy. That tends to come up with a lot of closed triads or couples who are looking or a third partner. It's generally when it's a straight man who is dating a queer woman, usually, um, and this can sort of, it can differ, but generally it's when a straight man is dating a bi woman and it's okay for woman to hook up with or date other women. It comes up a lot in close triads, but it also comes up a lot with women who are bi and their male partners are allowing them to explore their sexuality by being like, yep, that's fine, you can date, you can hook up with people, but it has to be generally cis women. Some people who think they're a bit more woke <laughs> are like, yep, that's fine as long as you don't sleep with anyone else with a penis. 
Um, it's very self-explanatory. It means one penis only, generally the straight man's penis in the relationship. And it's extremely toxic, but I will speak more about that later on. Um, that is just what it means if you've ever heard it. And I think that brings us nicely on to unicorn hunting, um, which is when a couple is looking for again that quote unquote third partner um you'll probably have seen it on tinder or in tv shows and movies where it's like oh a couple looking for a third that's unicorn hunting uh so called because it tends to be again a straight man and a bi woman looking for a single bi woman who will date slash have sex with slash fall in love with both of them at the same time under the conditions of their pre-existing relationship it's another thing that is extremely toxic in my opinion and i'll elaborate on that later there's a whole episode around unicorn hunting and oh, oh, oh boy i'll save all that for that episode um but it is coming and the last term that I have for now is nesting partner. Uh, nesting partner is generally used by people who live with a partner or a number of their partners, but don't necessarily practice hierarchical polyamory. So, you know, they're not their primary partner, they're just the partner that they happen to live with. Uh, like for example, I say Matt is my nesting partner because he is. <laughs> I live with him, um, but I try and stay away from hierarchy as much as possible. Um, so nesting partner is what I use because he's not my primary partner. He's just the partner that I live with. Um, and actually that has reminded me of one more term that I haven't had written down, which is couples privilege. And I will definitely expand upon upon this in the dating as a couple episode but couples privilege um is anything that you get from being the partner that can be sort of seen or read as the main partner um couples privilege is very very difficult and very insidious it's things like um you know if you are polyamorous and you have like three partners it's uh, the partner who you know you get to go to family gatherings with or the people that your parents ask about um, tends to be the one who benefits from couples privilege um, and that manifests itself a lot in people who transition from being monogamous to polyamorous so it was something that I had to be very very mindful of because Matt had been my only partner for one and a half years and then I became polyamorous and now I have another partner and it's just you know monitoring that it also can manifest itself very easily in a hierarchical relationships it's just something that's very good to be aware of it is not in itself a bad thing but it can very easily result in bad things so if someone has ever told you that oh 
you know, you're benefiting from couples privilege. It's not saying that you're a bad person. It's just pointing out that, you know, you're benefiting from that specific kind of privilege. Those are all my terms for now. Um, so if there are any terms that I missed, um, or if there are any terms that you've heard out in the wild that have never really been clarified, do send me an email and ask if I know what they are. I might not, um, but I've garnered a lot of knowledge of polyamory terms over the past few years so um, I'm happy to give it a swing or if there's anything that you've seen online and you've read the definition and you're like that doesn't really make any sense uh, please let me know and I'll try and make it slightly more accessible. That's the end of my part one of polyamory for beginners um, where we just talk about terms. So part two will be out very soon and I'll just expand um, a bit more on some of these terms and how they play into specific styles of polyamory. Um, hopefully I'll be touching on any kind of styles that you've heard of and maybe not really understood or any sort of styles that maybe you're practicing and you wish more people knew about. And again, when I talk about them, it will be even more from my own lens um, because I think styles can be open to interpretation a bit more than definitions. So that's why I'm going to do that in a different episode. I think there may be a potential for slight wobble, <laughs> but I'll try and keep it concise. All right. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and I will see you soon for part two of Polyamory for Dummies. Thank you so much. Bye.